There's a familiar section of scripture, at least I think it's familiar. Earlier in our study of First Kings, we saw how that Solomon is probably just a teenager, um, asks God for a particular petition or request. God actually asks Solomon, what is it that you want? And, and Solomon's response is uh, an understanding heart, wisdom basically, to be able to govern the people that God has now entrusted into his care as king, as shepherd over God's people. And God is very pleased with that request. And as a result of that, not only does God say he's going to answer that request for wisdom, but he's also going to give Solomon the things that he didn't ask for. He's going to give him wealth. He's going to give him victory over his enemies. He's going to give him long life. And as we've been studying in 1 Kings, we've seen how God has blessed and prospered Solomon. And back in chapter 4, actually, we saw how as a result of that answer, there's something that is said. But before I go any further, let's ask God's blessing at this time. Lord, we do ask that you'd bless now the study of your word. You'd speak to our hearts through it, Lord, that you'd remind us of the wisdom that is contained in your word, and Lord, that you would remind us too of your great wisdom as well. It is far greater than any wisdom that, that man may possess, and Lord, we just look to you, turn to you, Lord, for, for guidance in all things. We love you, Lord, and it's in your mighty name that we pray. So back in chapter 4, as I was going to say, it says in verse 29 that God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart even as the sand that is on the seashore. And verse 30 says that Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt. And then it names some of these guys who at this time are esteemed as wise men. And in verse 32 it says these are the things that Solomon did with that wisdom. It says that he spake 3,000 proverbs and his songs were a thousand and five, and he spake of trees and of cedar of the cedar tree that is in Lebanon, even unto the hyssop that springs out of the wall. And he spake also of beasts and of fowls and of creeping things and of fishes. You know, you know, he, the way it's put in the old King James might not seem like much, but you know, basically Solomon is wise when it comes to all things concerning nature, horticulture and animals and things like that. And it says in verse 34, And there came of all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all kings of the earth which heard of his wisdom. Because of the wisdom that God gives Solomon, and it is, it is supernatural. I mean, there's a type of wisdom that we're capable of possessing, and it's a wisdom that comes with the study of knowledge and the application of knowledge. Sometimes the wisdom that we exercise comes as a result of lessons that we've learned. You know, you, as a child, you quickly learn. Your mom tells you not to touch the stove because it's hot, you're gonna get burned. And if you d decide to, to, to not follow your mom's instruction and you touch that stove and you burn your hand or you, you withdraw very quickly, all of a sudden that you've got a little piece of wisdom that you've learned. When the stove is on, don't touch it because it's hot. I mean, we're all hopefully always learning from the experiences that we have. But the, the wisdom that God has granted Solomon is something that is supernatural. 
and it is something that sets him apart from every other, not only man in the, in the world at that time, but from every other king. And as a result of that gift, kings are drawn to Solomon, as it says there in chapter 4. And chapter 10 opens with a, an example of this, not, not only kings, but queens as well. And it says in chapter 10, verse 1, that when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. So she recognizes, the queen of Sheba recognizes that it's not just a wisdom that has come because of, again, to some earthly wisdom or some wisdom that any other man might have, but it says concerning the name of the Lord. And really, that's a wonderful thing when people recognize the gifts that God has given us, and they're coming, they're being drawn by it because they're drawn to a work that God is doing. Nothing better than that. And she travels. Now, Sheba, there's some, I guess, question as to where Sheba actually lies. There are some commentators that believe it was the north side of Africa. There are others that believe that it was part of the, the area of Saudi Arabia, maybe Yemen. One of the things that Jesus is going to say specifically about the Queen of Sheba, and he, he says this as a, a rebuke. He says this as a, a rebuke to the generation that he is speaking to because of the hardness of their hearts. He, he's actually, the, it says in Luke chapter 11 that the people were gathered thick together and they began to say, it says that when, when, when they, they, Jesus began to say, this is an evil generation. They seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given it, but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall the Son of Man be to this generation. Then he gives another example, verse 31 of Luke chapter 11. He says, the queen of the south. So wherever Sheba is, it is located to the south of where Israel is. And it says, The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, Jesus speaking of himself, behold, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall con condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. So the queen of Sheba hears of Solomon's wisdom. She knows that it's of the Lord, and she's coming to test him with some hard questions. She probably, you know, not, not like maybe the kind of questions, you know, if a tree falls in the forest, you know, no one's around to hear it, you know, does it make a sound? Not, not that kind of stuff. And it's evident, too, is... You know, we, we go down the chapter. I think maybe the types of questions that she has has to do with the nature of mankind and has to do maybe with the things that are on her own heart that maybe personally she is struggling as the ruler of her kingdom. And she comes and she's asking, she's coming to test him with these hard questions. And it says in verse 2 that she came to Jerusalem with a very great train with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones and when she was come to Solomon she communed with him of all that was in her heart see it's not just an intellectual pursuit 
It's the things that weigh, are weighing upon her heart. I mean, again, too, maybe questions like, is there a God? Or what happens when we die? Or, again, too, you know, how come men treat each other the way they do? How come there are wars in this world? I mean, you know, maybe she's just trying to understand the, the, the meaning of things, the nature of life. And again, too, maybe there's just things, like I said, that they're weighing heavy on her heart. And she hasn't had any answers to those things. But now she's coming to Solomon for these things. And really, even though she's coming to Solomon, I think you could make an argument and say she's really coming to the Lord for these answers. It's a wonderful thing when a person recognizes that there is a place that you can go to for answers. And no distance is too great. You know, in Matthew's actually account of the same thing that I just read, that Jesus mentions the Queen of the South, it says in Matthew's account that she traveled a great distance. Um, Again, too, if she's coming from the area of Yemen in that area, she's traveling 1,200 miles at least. And not only is she traveling that great, great distance, but she's coming with an entourage. She's coming with gifts from her country as well. She's coming, again, to to bestow some of these things because if what she's heard is true, then she wants, again, in a sense, to to feel like I'm going to give something for this wisdom that I'm hoping to get or to gain. You know, Paul talks about the, the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'll have you turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He talks about the natural man and he talks about the spiritual man. And really, Solomon at this point, because he is following after God and because of the wisdom that God has given him, he is exercising spiritual wisdom. In chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, verse 11, he says, What man knows the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knows no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in words which, wis- which man's wisdom teaches, but which, which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ, speaking we as believers. You know, there's another portion of Scripture where, actually, in one of Paul's epistles, he makes the argument, I believe it's actually in 2 Corinthians, but he, he actually makes the argument, again, too, because of the, uh, the giving or the imparting of spiritual wisdom that ultimately leads to salvation. He, he basically says, you know, there's an expectation that then, you know, you would give to God or, in a sense, give as a result of that. And he's talking about himself as a missionary and an evangelist and supporting the work that he is doing in preaching the gospel. In a sense, what she's doing is she's coming with this great gift because she recognizes the value of wisdom. I mean, again, I think that there are times in our lives where we are faced with choices. And it's like, I think there comes a point where sometimes we would maybe give 
almost anything to have the right answer. And if I only knew what to do, what choice to make, what it is that God is wanting to do in my life, I mean, I mean, sometimes we probably don't even recognize the importance of some of the decisions that we make, that they have consequences in some cases and blessings in others. I mean, and again, I look back now, I'm 56 years old, but I look back at some of the decisions I made when I was younger, and I'm so grateful for, I believe, God guiding me, even before I was a Christian. I mean, I... It, uh, one of probably the, one of the best decisions I ever made, I think, was going into the Marine Corps. And, and, and it was funny because at the time, um, I, I'd been dating this girl in high school and she broke up with me. I was devastated, you know. Ah, I'm just kidding. Well, I was, but you know, in high school, you're, you're devastated pretty much by everything. But, um, <laughs> And I bring this up. I bring this up for the sole point of if we would have still been dating, I probably wouldn't have felt the freedom to leave Minnesota. And the thing is, my buddy had just gotten back from boot camp, and, and I thought, you know what? I've got nothing holding me down here in Minnesota. I think I'm going to join the Marine Corps. For me, it was a choice between the Marine Corps and the Air Force. My dad had been in the Air Force. I thought, yeah, I'd like to go into the Marines. And, and I was pretty fit at the time and I felt like I had the ability to do it and and and, and again too even as a non-believer it was just like it was a great decision to make because it set my life on a course that again too as I see how God unfolded that I ended up working for a guy that was was a believer I, I ended up working for this guy that was relentless at sharing the gospel with me and as a result I ended up accepting Christ as my Savior as a result I started going to a Calvary Chapel as a result I ended up meeting my wife and we got married and as a result you know we were put in contact or I was good friends with the, the pastors over in St. Paul and he was the pastor of a youth group and there was a young girl that got pregnant and she wanted to give her baby up for adoption as a result we were given as a gift from God this blessed child that we couldn't have on our own and again I look back to just a few certain decisions that were made at critical junctions in my life and I think you know it's a wonderful thing to see how God works in a person's life and what would you pay to make the right decision at the right time I think she's coming, and again, as a queen, you know, she probably has much more wealth than this. And again, too, maybe she's coming because she wants to impress. I mean, we're not really sure. It doesn't really tell us these things. All it does is it tells us that she recognizes the gift is from the Lord. It, rec it tells us that she's coming to test her, to prove him with hard questions. And, and, and in verse 2, it tells us that she came and she basically shared everything with Solomon that was in her heart. And I think that there's an honesty as a result. And it says in verse 3 that Solomon told her all her questions that, and there was not anything hid from the king. There was not anything that was hid from the king which he told her not. He's able to answer those things. You know, in James's epistle, he talks about the wisdom that's from this world or even from that comes from the pit of hell and 
the anxiousness and the fear and the bitterness and the clamoring and the fighting that comes from the pit of hell versus the wisdom that comes from above, which is peaceable, it's gentle, it's easy to be entreated. And it produces good works in the life of the believer. I mean, when Solomon answers those questions, and again, too, I don't know for you, when I, when I first got saved, I could not get enough of the wisdom that came from God's Word. And I greatly appreciated, too, the teaching, the, the teaching of all of God's Word that was emphasized in the Calvary chapels. And even though I was stationed at the time in El Toro, I was driving an hour one way to go to church on Sundays down in Oceanside to the Calvary Chapel that was getting started there. And it was nothing for me. I mean, it, you know, it just didn't matter because, again, I'm going because I'm seeking the Lord, I'm seeking understanding in His Word, and I found a place where that was taking place. And again, I didn't think anything of it. I mean, it's funny, too, the, the priorities that sometimes people have. They maybe know their need for God or they know the commandments to worship God or to observe the Sabbath, but they give so little to God and they don't recognize that what's available and again to the value even of wisdom. You know, in... Um, there's a number of places, and Solomon writes these things. In Proverbs chapter 1, he opens with this. He says, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. And he says, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice and judgment and equity, to give subtlety to the simple and to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb, and the interpretation, the words of the wise, and their dark sayings. And he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Later on in the same chapter, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20, he personifies wisdom and he says in verse 20 that wisdom cries without or out in the streets. She utters her voice in the streets. She cries in the chief place of concourse and at the openings of the gates. In the city she utters her words saying, How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorn and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you, and I will make known my words unto you. I mean, he's basically saying wisdom's crying to you. It's there. It's available. Do you want it? I mean, do you want to study God's Word? I mean, again, too, for the Queen of Sheba, she traveled the distance because, again, too, she's seeking answers that are on her heart. She is seeking godly wisdom. And I think so many people don't realize that there's godly wisdom right here. I mean, the world might look at it as fool's wisdom because they think the things of God are foolish. But the wisdom of God, it has eternal blessings for the believer. I mean, I cannot emphasize the importance of the wisdom that is found here. 
or the wisdom that is found among believers. The Bible says that there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. And he's, you know, Solomon is saying this of godly counselors. He's not just talking about any counselors. You know, it's important to kind of weigh everything. And there have been times in my life where I've, been, I've, I've not known what to do. And I'll pray. And at the same time, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm seeking God for his direction, for his wisdom. And at the same time, I know what God's word says about the multitude of counselors. So there are times that I'll call people and say, hey, what do you think about this? Or lay a situation out. You know, sometimes I used to think, you know, if they say all the same thing, well, then that must confirm it. That's what God wants me to do. And yet I have found that it's very rare when I call at least two or three people that everybody gives me the same advice. It's like they'll give you three different, completely, even at times, opposite advice. And the thing I realized about it, and again, too, the, the wisdom or the safety in the multitude of counselors, is you get to look at it from different perspectives, maybe even perspectives that you would have never thought of. And as you begin to weigh that and even consider things that you hadn't considered, then it takes you once again to prayer. And again, too, then I find many times that then as I'm praying, the Lord will give me a peace and will answer my question as to what to do next or what choice I need to make. But it's great because now I have thoroughly waited out. I have sought out different brothers and sisters in Christ and the wisdom that comes with their either knowledge of God's word or their relationship with God. And it's a wonderful thing to weigh those things out. I think too many times people make decisions and they're impulsive in their decisions. I mean, they, or they feel, I have to make this decision. Or they're, they're just thinking of something immediate. I'm making a decision that deals with what my immediate circumstance is instead of seeing a much bigger, broader picture of what's God wanting to do with your enti- in the entirety of your life. And I, again, too, the, I can't overstate the importance of the wisdom that comes from God and the importance of prayer and seeking God's wisdom and guidance in these things. Getting back to the Queen of Sheba in verse 4, after Solomon has told her everything that's on her heart, it says in verse 4 that when the Queen of Sheba had seen all of Solomon's wisdom, and now all these things that are going to be mentioned are the addition and the additional answer to God's prayer for not only Solomon's wisdom, but all the, the blessings of prosperity and all these things. She, she sees Solomon's wisdom in, a, in the house that he had built. Verse 5, the meat that was at his table. Remember in the previous chapters, when we saw the, the great number of resources that were needed on a daily basis just to feed Solomon's house, household. I mean, she sees just this... You know, again, too, just the magnificence of a meal that's laid out for, for all of Solomon's servants and for the princes and for everybody that, that came around his table. And it says, And the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, and there was no more spirit in her. It took her breath away to see that magnificence. Verse 6, and she said to the king, it was a true report that I heard in my own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. How be it, verse 7, I believe not the words until I came 
and mine eyes had seen it, and behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceeds the fame which I heard. You know, when it says that she comes, if she really didn't believe, and I think there's an element of belief, there's probably, too, an element of hope. Because, again, if, you know, and probably the word comes back to her because, as we've seen previously, Solomon has built a navy. Solomon is, is, has, has expanded his kingdom in many ways. He's made alliances with some of the other kings. There's a lot of trade that's taking place. And maybe some of those that were involved in the trade and in the commerce, you know, they come to the queen of Sheba and say, well, you should really see what's going on over in Israel. And you should see what the king of Israel, you know, how his kingdom has prospered. And there's going to be a description of, again, too, just the city itself. It's adorned with these great and precious stones. It's going to be adorned with silver. There's so much silver that it's like the stones, you know, and it, again, to all the gold. And so she's hearing this. But, but again, too, yes, those things are magnificent, but she's also hearing of his wisdom that's from God. And she's probably, if she really didn't believe it, oh, that's just a bunch of, you know, urban legend, wives' tales, you know. She wouldn't have gone through the effort. I think, my own opinion, but I think there's a hope. I think it begins with a hope. She's hoping that at least some of what she's hearing is true. And that's what causes her to travel the distance. And she, she says to Solomon, you know, I, I didn't believe it. it. It's not because she didn't believe those that were reporting to her. It's because she didn't believe it because she hadn't seen it. There's no way that she could fathom the greatness of Solomon's wisdom, but also to the, the prosperity of his kingdom. And she says there in verse 7, I, I didn't believe it until my eyes had seen it. And, he, and she basically says, the half wasn't told to me. And she says in verse 8, then she commends not only Solomon, but she, she's thinking about those that get to be continually in his presence. Happy are your men, happy are these thy servants which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God which delights in thee. And again, to notice, you know, I think that God has done a work in her heart, and that's the thing that God really wants to do. I mean, it makes me think of even when God is given to Moses the commandments and the statutes for God's people to follow. And God even says this. He says, when the other nations hear of the righteousness of my commandments, they are going to think what a great nation this is that has such righteous commands and laws that they are following. I mean, it's a wonderful thing then that what people see, the work that God does in our lives, and that God gets the glory for it. And she is blessing the Lord as a result in verse 9. Blessed be the Lord your God, which delights in you to set you upon the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore made he, therefore made he the king to do judgment and justice. Very similar to what Hiram, the king of Tyre, said. He is really glad that God has given the nation of Israel a man like Solomon that has a heart after the Lord. And says in verse 10 then of our passage that she gave the king 120 talents of gold. A talent is anywhere from 70 to 90 pounds. So you can do the math, 120 times 70. 
and then take whatever gold is selling for per ounce and multiply it by that, and you probably have millions and millions of dollars that she is giving to Solomon or to the nation of Israel as a gift. And it says, of spices, very great store and precious stones, and there came no more such abundance of spices as these which the king of Sheba gave to King Solomon. In verse 11, it says, And the navy also of Hiram. Remember Hiram, the king of Tyre, previous chapters. You know, it tells us in the previous chapter that Solomon had established a navy in the southern part of Israel at the tip of the Red Sea where they were going to Ophir specifically to, to, to get gold and how that Hiram and his men were teaching uh, the nation of Israel how to, how to be sailors, how to, how to navigate the seas. And it says in verse 11 that also the navy uh, of Hiram that brought gold from Ophir brought it from Ophir, great, uh, great plenty of almug trees. I have to look in the, in the NIV for what those are. It says almug wood. doesn't tell us what that is. Maybe if you know trees, you can tell me what it is. Sounds like a rubber tree to me, but I don't know. Um, maybe, and I heard that sometime. But anyway, it says, For the house of the Lord and for the king's house, harps also and psalteries for the singers, and there came no such almug trees, nor were seen unto this day. So it was a, probably a very costly or valuable wood. Verse 13 says that King Solomon gave unto the queen of Sheba all her desire whatsoever she asked beside that which Solomon gave her of his royal bounty. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. And now it's going to kind of be an inventory of how much gold comes into the kingdom while Solomon is king. And it says in verse 14 that the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 600, three score, and six talents of gold. 666. That is a weird number. And again, too, it's, it's weird to me or odd to me because, again, it, in the book of Revelation, it speaks of the number of the Antichrist, that it's the same number. Now, I, I don't know that there's any significance or it just happens to be a great coincidence that it's the same amount that is coming in to Solomon's kingdom. I'm just simply leaving it at that. The scripture doesn't really tell us. But that's a lot of gold that's coming in. And it says in verse 15, Besides that, he had of the merchant men and of the traffic of the spice merchants and of all the kings of Arabia and of the governors of the country. And King Solomon made 200 targets of beaten gold. 600 shekels of gold went into one target. And he made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three pounds of gold went into one shield, and the, the king put them in the house of the force of Lebanon. And it says in verse 18, Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with the best gold. I mean, everything in Solomon's kingdom is, again, too, covered with gold. And it says in verse 19, The throne had six steps, and the top of the throne roundabout behind and there were stays on either side of the, the place of the seat and two lions stood beside the stays. So there's six steps going up and as a result then when you get to the top of the steps there were these two golden lions or two lions that were beside that at the top and it says 
in verse 20, it says that 12 lions stood there the, on the one side and on the other of the six steps. So each step had a set of lions. It doesn't tell us how big they are. They might have been little kitty cat type lions, but uh, they're there. And it says there was none that was made like that in any kingdom. Verse 21, and all the kingdoms, I mean, all of King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold. And all the vessels of the house of the force of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. It was accounted nothing in the days of Solomon. For the king had, a, a, had at sea a navy of Tarshish with the navy of Hiram. So he's got a second navy at Tarshish along with the navy that was previously described with Hiram. And it says, once in three years they came, there, there came the navy of Tarshish bringing gold and silver, ivory and apes and peacocks. They must have, I hear you can get them for just bananas. So, but um boom And it says in verse 20, probably, again, too, it allowed Solomon to study all these different types of animals to see things that probably weren't native to the land of Israel, maybe to establish his own type of zoo. But it says in verse 23, it says, So King Solomon exceeded, well, and you know, one thing I should, should mention at this point and the reading of all this, and, and the emphasis on all the gold and the prosperity of Solomon. Remember in Deuteronomy chapter 17, there's actually a warning for kings not to multiply to themselves gold and silver and wives and all these things. And what we begin to see is that as a result of this prosperity, you know, Solomon's going to begin to violate some of the things that are clearly spelled out in God's Word. And the problem with that is that you begin to put your trust in those things. The problem with that is you begin to equate then those material possessions with the blessings of God. If I have a lot, then God must be blessing me. That was the problem. There's even problems with that type of a, pros a doctrine today, with prosperity doctrine. You know, that, that, that you're a child of God, God wants to bless you, and the blessings that you have are an evidence of, 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 of the blessings of God. The prosperity that, that you have is the evidence of the prosperity of God. And really... Solomon's heart, and we're going to see this take place in the next chapter, is going to be turned away from God. But Solomon still has all that wealth and prosperity. And he's continuing to add to those things. And, and so, you know, just, uh, you know, I, I think of what Paul writes to Timothy, and he says this with regards to the wealthy, um, the importance of again, to not placing too much trust in wealth or prosperity and that it ultimately a person should trust in the Lord. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And actually, I'll begin in verse 3 because he says, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions, strife of words, whereof comes envy, strife, railings, and evil surmisings, perverse disputes, disputing of men of corrupt mind and destitute of the truth. Verse 5, he says, supposing that gain 
is godliness. And he says, from such withdraw thyself. See, even back then, people thought, you know, if I've got a lot of money, then I must be godly because God doesn't bless the wicked, does he? But Paul points out that that's not the case. And he says in verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, let us therewith be content. In verse 9, he says, But they that will be rich fall into temptations and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some covet it after, they have erred or gone astray from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness and godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Verse 17 of 1 Timothy chapter 6, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate or to share, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. And Paul really puts into perspective, I mean, does God bless believers? Yeah, he does. But there is a, a, a danger, and it's that our heart can be carried away or thinking that, you know, because I have all this money or this wealth or these possessions, you know, that I must be in a right relationship with God, and that's not always the case. It says in verse 23, getting back to the wisdom and the riches, it's interesting because prior to this point, it speaks of the, the wisdom first and then of the riches and the prosperity of Solomon. Uh, the Queen of Sheba mentions that in verse 7. And, and also, too, it's mentioned in verse 1, when she hears of his wisdom. But it's interesting how that then beginning in verse 23, when it speaks of his wisdom and riches, now the priority or the order in which they are mentioned in the scripture has changed. It's something that's subtle, but it's there in the original language. And now it says, so King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches and for wisdom. Before that, he was known for his wisdom and then his riches and his prosperity. Now he's known for his riches and for his wisdom. Which would you rather be known for? How rich you are or how wise you are in the things of God? And now there is a change that is beginning to take place. In verse 24, it says, And all the earth sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. And they brought every man his present, vessels of silver and vessels of gold and garments and armor and spices, horses and mules, array year by year. Verse 26, it says that Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen, and he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, which whom he bestowed in the cities for chariots and with the king at Jerusalem. And the king made silver to be in Jerusalem as stones. If you've ever been to, to Israel, there is stones, rocks everywhere. They have kind of like a, a folk 
legend or, or tale of how come Israel has so many rocks. And I think, and probably Paul and Alexi know it better than I do, but from what I remember, the times I've been there and the tour guides have shared it, it was something like when, when God was creating the world, he sent four angels out to basically, with all the rocks that would be distributed evenly throughout the world, and instead, what happened was the, the other three angels, they distributed their rocks throughout the world. And the fourth angel was a lazy angel, and he just put his whole load right on Israel. Something like that, right? You've, you guys have heard that. You haven't heard that one? Really? I've, I've heard that a couple of times when I've gone to Israel. All that to say is there's a lot of rocks in Israel. And sometimes it's funny because as, as I've been there for different reasons, um, sometimes ministry, sometimes tour groups. But the tour guides, sometimes people, when you're over there in Israel, you, you know, you, you, as a, on a tour, you kind of feel like, well, you know, is it okay if I take some rocks? You know, and the tour guides will say, yeah, take as many as you like. We, we, we want you, we want the tourists to take the rocks out of Israel. And the thing is, it gives you an idea, maybe a mental picture of how many rocks are in Israel. But now in verse 27 is going to be a description of how much silver is in Israel during the time of Solomon's reign. And the king made silver to be in Jerusalem as stones. Cedars, a cedar tree, which is a much better quality tree from Lebanon. It says that he made them to be as the sycamore trees that are in the veil for abundance. The sycamore, sycamore tree was the more common tree you know, wasn't as valuable as the cedar tree, but again, too, because of the aggressive importing of these things into Israel and the, the, the amount of money and wealth that Solomon's kingdom had, he was able to do all these things. Verse 28, it says that Solomon had horses brought out of Egypt and linen yarn, and the king's merchants received the linen yarn and a price and a chariot came up and went out of Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. And so all the kings of the Hittites and for the kings of Syria did they bring them out by their means. I think what's being described there is actually Solomon has a, a, an exclusive trade agreement with the Egyptians. And he's basically buying chariots and horses and the Hittites and the Syrians aren't able to get these. But what Solomon is doing is he's paying for them and then he's turning around and selling them to the Syrians and the Hittites at an elevated price. So again, too, there's just a lot of commerce, a lot of wealth, a lot of prosperity. All these things are coming in addition to the wisdom that God has given them. But in chapter 11, we're going to begin to see a great change in the life of Solomon as a result of him not obeying the Word of God and not being on his guard. The Bible says that if any man thinks he stand, let him take heed lest he fall. You know, we need to... There never comes a point where we should ever feel like I'm fine spiritually. I, uh, you know, there's no potential for me to fall or to ever walk away for, from ever serving God because there are things that happen probably so subtly or we think we can handle. And when they're left to run their course, God's word demonstrates time and time again that it will result in a relationship that is broken from fellowship with God. So let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, for your word. 
And thank you, Lord, for the wisdom that comes from your word. And Lord, I pray that you'd stir in our hearts a desire for your godly wisdom that's there. Lord, the psalmist says, I rejoice at thy word as one that finds great spoil. May we look at your word as something that has a, a treasure of wisdom that is waiting to be harvested. And Lord, that we would read your word, that we would meditate on your word and on the wisdom of your word, but Lord, also too, that we would apply your word in our lives, that we would be doers of your word, not hearers only. And Lord, I ask that you'd bless your people, and it's in your mighty name, Lord Jesus, that I pray. Amen. God bless.